We're going to jump right into the word. Now, as you're getting ready for the message, let me say to all the, all the guests and to all the home folks, there's nothing you can do to help me today. <laughs> Maybe say amen more, give me a chance to breathe. But let me tell you, I've been fighting this, this persistent cough, and uh, I, I appreciate you being patient with me as I'm up here hacking and coughing. I have cough drops. I have water. I know you're going to want to hand me one the whole time. I've got them. I'm set. There's nothing you can do but just say amen and hang with me. But uh, <coughs> in spite of that, I'm still excited to give you this word today. Are you ready to receive it? Yes. Amen. Last week, I, I started uh, uh, with a broad stroke painting a picture for us of what I believe God is saying to us as a church in 2018, <clears throat> I believe God wants to establish some things in our lives. And we laid the groundwork with a verse of scripture that is in Luke chapter 2 and verse 52. So here at the beginning of this message, I want to go back there <clears throat> and I want, you to, I want you to hear this word again. It's talking about Jesus when he was about 12 years old, speaking of his adolescent years. And here's what it says. And Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That's four ways <clears throat> that we see Jesus grew. I want to illustrate that in a way that hopefully will stick with you uh, throughout the, the course of this year. And so I want you to imagine in your mind the, <clears throat> the indicators on your dashboard in your car. You've got, if your car's legal, the one you drove here, uh, you got a couple gauges <coughs> that should be talking to you. One's a speedometer. The speedometer, we all understand, it tells us how fast we're moving from point A to point B. <coughs> but next to that is another gauge. It's the tachometer. And the tachometer is the one that communicates to us how hard your engine is working while you're getting from point A to point B. And the way that, the way that it reads that is RPMs. How many of you, you know what I'm talking about so far? Some of you are going, I wonder why that needle didn't move as much. <coughs> it's rotations per minute. RPMs, they communicate how hard your engine is, is working to go the speed you're going. Now, if your car tells you, the speedometer, the speedometer says you're going 35 miles per hour, I would hope that the car you drove here today, that that's not maxing out. You, you know, you're comfortable. <coughs> your car can handle 35 miles per hour. But understand this. If, if you don't ever shift out of first gear <coughs> and you just keep accelerating, that speedometer might be doing just fine. But the, the RPMs are redlining. The tachometer is telling you, like, hey, you are working way too hard to go as fast as you're going right now. You need to learn how to shift. <clears throat> Let me tell you, if I can apply this to our lives, you're going somewhere. You're going somewhere, every one of us. We're moving somewhere. God has a place that he wants you to go. What I, <clears throat> what I want the Holy Spirit to help us to do this year is to, to get where God wants us to go at our most effective and efficient means. In other words, we gotta learn how to read the RPMs. <clears throat> it's not just about where we're going, it's how we're getting there. And here's what RPMs stands for. R is relational. P 
is physical. M is mental. And the S is spiritual. That's the four ways that Jesus grew. He grew in wisdom. That means mentally. He grew in stature, physically. He grew in favor with God, spiritually. And he grew in favor with man, relationally. And I want to challenge you to begin to watch the gauges of your life. Allow the Holy Spirit to, to order and establish your steps so that relationally, physically, mentally, and spiritually, <coughs> you're operating in balance. I want to... <coughs> I want to take a moment before I even get any farther into this message today. And I want to just pray over that, that picture and that thought in your heart and in your life and in mine. Some of you are going, wait, we're not at the end of the message yet. We don't pray till the end. No, I want to pray right now. I want you to receive this mental picture right now. Would you close your eyes with me and just come in agreement. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that this week you would speak to us in those four areas of our lives. God, for some of us, we might be here today and we feel like spiritually everything's going well. God, don't allow us to, to convince ourselves that everything's fine because everything feels good in your house if our relationships are out of balance. If our physical life, the things that we possess and the things that possess us, if it's out of balance, God, reveal those things to us. Mentally, God, if there's things that we need understanding, we need wisdom about, God, help us to, by your Holy Spirit's guidance, read the gauges and not just get where you want us to go, but God, get there the way you want us to get there, to live our lives fully established, to have our steps ordered by you. God, do it in our hearts and lives in 2018, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. I want to show you a verse that we looked at last weekend. It's in Psalms chapter 37, verse 23. And this is a promise. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. God wants to establish your steps this year. He wants to lead you. So where are you headed? If God is leading you, where are you headed? That's a good question, and, and I was going to answer that question today, but as I began to pray about this weekend, quickly the Spirit reminded me that that's not the most important question. It is an important question, where you're headed, but it's not the first question. Let me explain it like this. If your son or daughter called you this week on the phone and said, Dad, I'm lost. I need directions home. The first question you would ask is, where are you? Right? I mean, if you want to get directions to a place, you got to know where you're starting from. If you've ever tried to calculate something on a map without refreshing your location, and you found out that you were getting directions to the place you wanted to go, but it was starting you at the place that you were not, you got confused real quick. <clears throat> so the most important question that you need to know the answer to is, where is your starting point? And that's what I want to speak to you about today. I want to talk about where the starting point is because here's my conviction. And this is really the, the thesis for everything I'm going to say today. My conviction is this. There are people, there are men and women who love God, who have served God for a long time. Maybe even you're here today and you are frustrated with the direction that you're headed 
and the pace that you're headed there. But you're not frustrated because you don't know where to go. And you're not frustrated because you don't know how to get there. The reality is you're frustrated because you're starting in the wrong place. You're starting in the wrong place. In the, in the Bible, we see the story of the children of Israel that came out of bondage in Egypt. And we're, we're all pretty familiar with that story if you've read through the scriptures. And we, we learn that it took them 40 years to get to the promised land. Now, what's amazing about that story to me and how it parallels our life is the fact that they did not have any problem knowing where they were going. How many of you knew that about the story? They knew where they were going. It wasn't like they couldn't find the promised land. They knew where they were going. Not only did they know where they were going, they knew how to get there. The Bible says that God led them with a cloud during the day and with a pillar of fire at night. So every day, it was easy, easier for them than us maybe, to follow God, to know where they were supposed to go, to know how they were going to get there. And yet, their journey, which should have taken maybe a few weeks, ended up being a 40-year death march. And it was because they didn't understand their starting point. Stay with me here. When they looked in the rearview mirror, all they could see was 400 years of bondage and slavery in Egypt. That, that was their point of reference. They looked back on their lack. They looked back on their need. They looked back on all those years where it seemed like nobody was going to show up or come through for them. That's all they could see behind them. But that was not their starting point. If you know the story, you're well aware that, that during those 400 years of bondage, God established them and grew them into a nation of two million strong. They were a multitude of people, but that wasn't their starting point. Before they were a multitude of people, they were a promise. A promise to a man named Abraham. That God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Before it was the nation called Israel, it was the son called Israel. Jacob was his name, and God changed it to Israel. Why? Because God had communicated that he was going to make them into a great nation. <clears throat> and yet, they went through the journey. And every time, adversity came. Every time the opportunity came for, for them to, to rise up in faith and to believe that God was going to show up and, and intervene on their behalf. Instead of rising up in faith, what did they do? They cowered in fear. Every time they cowered in fear because they weren't fully convinced that God was for them. See, their starting point should have been the promise. Their starting point should have been the conviction that God was going to lead them out. But it wasn't. If they had just let their faith be established on what God had said, it would have been totally different for that generation. I want to tell you today, every doubt of God's promise is an indictment against his personhood. When God has said something is yours, when God has said something is for you, when God has said he's going to lead you, and you doubt that promise, it's an indictment against his character and against his very nature. Hear me today. Your opposition, whatever it might be, it reveals your convictions. Whether it's an expression of faith or a response in fear, the opposition that you face, uh, that you face reveals your Convictions. If you got your Bible, turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. I, I want you to see something here because this is, this is the moment where God begins to speak to Moses about this promise. 
Exodus chapter 3, this is the burning bush experience for Moses. This is what should have been the starting point for the people that followed Moses out of the wilderness. Look at it with me. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. This is the Lord speaking. I'm watching over you. I've seen what's been done to you. Verse 17. And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now flip over to Exodus 4, verse 30. says, And Aaron told them, the people, everything that the Lord had said to Moses. He told them everything he had said. He also performed the signs before the people. Now look at verse 31. And they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery... They bowed down and worshiped. Now, if you like to underline or highlight stuff in your Bible, let me encourage you to these words. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them. That's in orange in my Bible. Because I don't want to ever forget that the Lord is concerned about me. That's the starting place. Understanding that, hey, the Lord is concerned about me. He didn't forget me. He wasn't unattentive for 400 years. The Lord is concerned about you. That should have been the starting place, but they kept going back to the wrong place. If you flip over to Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you can see this is the point where the children of Israel are now on the cusp of moving into the promised land. So Moses sends 12 spies to go in and scout out the land, come back and Give a report. But 10 of those 12 spies, they came back. And their report in Numbers 13, 31 through 33 was this. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they're spread out among the Israelites. And they're spread out among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said... The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And then listen to this. He said, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. The next chapter says, all the people began to weep and cry out loud. Numbers 14 verse 4 says, they even said, hey, let's get us a new leader that will take us back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? You want to talk about starting in the wrong place. They're standing here on the, on the edge of the promise of God. And they've come to the rationale because of fear, because of intimidation, because of their own inferiority complex. They've come to the conclusion that the best thing for us to do after God's delivered us out of 400 years of bondage in Egypt is that we should raise up another leader that will take us back there. They missed it. 
They missed the truth that the Lord was concerned for them. There were two guys that got it, Joshua and Caleb. Two of those 12 spies began to speak up. They tried to rally the people around God's promises. And they said in Numbers chapter 14, verse 8, they said, If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us. You might want to under that, underline that in your Bible. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us. That's, that's the starting point. They said, He will lead us to a land flowing with milk and honey. And He will give it to us. I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter what you look like in the eyes of your enemy. It doesn't matter what you look like in your own eyes. The question is, what does the Lord think about you? That's the question that you have to answer today. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us. Can I tell you the starting place today for the place that God wants you to be this year? He's pleased with you. He's concerned with you. He's pleased with you today. It, some of you say, he's not pleased with me. You don't know what I've done. Listen, he's as pleased with you today as a brand new parent is as they look into the face of their newborn child. Couldn't be more happy. You haven't done a thing for me. Nothing but cry in my face. I, I could not be happier with who you are because God's love for you is not based on what you do, but it's based on who he is. Amen. He loves you. Deal with it. Can't get away from it. You didn't have to ask for it. He is for you. Even Jesus received that affirmation from the Father. We all need it. Jesus lived a perfect life. But when he was 30 years old, the Bible says he went into the waters of baptism. And John the Baptist baptized him in the water. And when he came up out of the water, the, the Spirit of God descended in a, the form of a dove. And a voice came from heaven. Matthew 3. A voice came from heaven and said, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Can I tell you at that moment, Jesus hadn't preached a single sermon. Jesus had never performed a miracle. Jesus hadn't healed anybody. He was a 30-year-old carpenter from Nazareth. And he heard the affirmation of his father. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, the pleasure of God does not come from what you do, but from whose you are. He's my son. I'm pleased with him. You need to have a right starting place today. Look there at the next verse in Numbers 14. It says in verse 9, this is Joshua and Caleb appealing to the people. They said, only do not rebel against the Lord. And do not be afraid of the people of the land. Because we will devour them. Their protection is gone. Now catch this. But the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord is with us. That one was worth underlining two times. The Lord is with us. Paul said it this way in Romans 8. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? You need to hit the refresh button on your map in your spirit today. You need to hit that locate button. You need to come back to the right starting place today to understand that God is for you. Look, if you want to find directions to a place, you have to know where you're starting from. See, Jesus knew. Jesus didn't just grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. He didn't just grow towards something. He grew from something. See, that story in Luke 2 that we looked at last week, what had happened is Jesus had gone as a 12-year-old boy with his family into the city of Jerusalem 
to celebrate the Passover. And he must have been a really responsible kid because they left. The whole caravan of people, pilgrims, left. And Mary and Joseph, his parents, they got a day and a half journey away before they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. When they realized he wasn't with them, they, they turned and they headed back to the city. And they did what every parent would do. They went frantically looking for Jesus. And when they found him, they said, where have you been? Where have you been? Jesus responds to him in Luke chapter 2, verse 49. And he gives us insight into his starting point in life. <clears throat> Look at this verse. He said, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? See, at just 12 years old, Jesus already had enough of an understanding of his relationship with God that he called him father, my father. People didn't do that in that day and age. People didn't speak of God in that personal, intimate, relational uh, sense. But Jesus understood who he was. And that relationship established him. It grounded him. So Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. But he didn't just grow towards something. He grew from something. He grew because he knew who he was. I'm going to say it's the same for you and I today. You won't grow Unless you know. you, you got to have the right starting point. You have to be established in this conviction that God is my Father. If you want to build a hundred-story tall skyscraper, you got to establish a ten-foot deep foundation. In the same sense, if you want to grow a tree big and strong with branches that stretch out far and wide, you got to have a root system that is mature and deep and established because big dreams require deep convictions. It's easy to talk about vision and to talk about the future and to talk about what we want to see and where we want to go, but understand <clears throat> the height of your accomplishments will never exceed the depth of your convictions. So here's my goal today. I, I want to give you the deepest most established foundation that you can build your life on. This is the starting point. God loves me. That's it. Can you say that with confidence today? I mean, do you, can you say that with a conviction that, that isn't based on how you did this week or how loud you sang a few moments ago? Can you say that with a certainty that has nothing to do with what you think of yourself or what anybody else thinks about you? Can, do, do you know in your knower, do you know that you are loved by God? He loves you. And if you don't start from there, you'll spend your life frustrated that you're not getting where you want to go, the way you want to go. And it's not that you don't know the way. And it's not that you can't see the instructions. You don't know where you're at. And rather than walking in sonship and receiving your identity and your affirmation from your father... You'll spin your wheels fighting for the approval of man. You'll spin your wheels trying to overcome self-doubt and condemnation and everything that wants to speak against who God says you are and what God says you can do. You'll spend all your time fighting off the, the mentality that says we're nothing but grasshoppers and the enemy thinks we're grasshoppers too. If you don't hear this, but the Lord is for us. He's for us. God loves you today. Let that establish 
your starting point. It was D.L. Moody that said these words. What comes to mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a huge statement. Consider the implications of that. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. What he's saying is how you see God is huge. How you see God dictates the way you see yourself. The way that you see God influences your future and the way you see life. And any astigmatism in your vision of what God is like is going to blur your reality and your perception about everything else. How you see God is the most important thing about you. So let me ask you today, when you close your eyes, what image do you see of God? What's, what's he like? What's the snapshot that's being developed in the dark room of your mind right now when you think about God? Is he a loving father? Are his arms open wide to receive you today? Or is his hand extended and his finger, finger wagging at you? Is God leaning over the balcony of heaven to receive your worship? Or is he standoffish and uninterested in you? What's your perception of God today? I think maybe the most popular perception or image of God is, is that of our Savior hanging on the cross, dying. And that's a great vision. I mean, that's a powerful picture. That's the, that's the image of amazing grace. We should never lose that picture. But can I tell you today, that's not, that's not where he's at right now. He's not hanging on a cross right now. Get an image of God today. The Bible says that today, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he is there. Do you know what he's doing? He's praying for you. That's what he's doing. <clears throat> he's praying for you. The Bible says Jesus ever lives to make intercession for his saints. We need a high-definition picture of our God interceding for us. And can I give you some more good news? The Bible says he's not alone. Not only is Jesus interceding for you, but Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Comforter, the Counselor. The word that, that is translated into our English language is Paraclete. So when Jesus said the Holy Spirit is the Paraclete, he was using a word that was used to describe a Roman soldier who would stand back to back with another soldier when they were involved in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Maybe you've seen this depicted in the movies. As the enemy pressed in around him, two soldiers would stand back to back and they would fight to defend one another. They were the paraclete. Jesus said, that's what the Holy Spirit is for you. I mean, if we could say it in football terms, the Holy Spirit's the left guard, left tackle. He's, he's got your blind side. He's the one that watches when the enemy's coming from the side and you can't see him coming. Isaiah said it like this. Isaiah <coughs> said... He's the rear guard. The Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. So where, where are you coming from today? <clears throat> What's your picture of God like in your mind? Are you rooted and established in God's love for you? I, in the last few moments of this message, I want to drill down on, on those two words, rooted and established. They're, they're two Images that the, the Apostle Paul used when he was communicating our relationship with God. 
One is an agricultural term, to be rooted like a tree that's planted. The other is an architectural term, to be established like a building with a, a firm foundation. Paul <coughs> described what it was like to be established in the faith in Ephesians chapter 2. And then moving into Ephesians chapter 3, he continues that metaphor by beginning to pray for the church. If, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to see this today. Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, for this reason, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. And he's about to pray for them, but then he gets sidetracked. And over, over the next 13 verses, Paul just begins to talk about the mystery of the church and how God uses him to be an apostle and to share the gospel. And, and it's awesome. And, and I love that passage. Because it communicates that, that the Holy Spirit does inspire rabbit trails in sermons. <laughs> so I'm banking on that verse that, that sometimes it is the Lord leading when we get sidetracked. It certainly wasn't Paul's case. But if you look at verse 1 in chapter 3 and then you look at verse 14, you can see that in verse 14 he gets right back on track with what he was saying about being established. And what he begins to do in this verse, in the next few verses is... He begins to pray for the church. And I want to pray this prayer over us today. Look at it with me. In Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14, he says, For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glory, glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being. <clears throat> so that, here's the purpose, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established. In other words, <clears throat> because of what Christ has done in your heart, you're now rooted and established in love. <clears throat> I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. And then he says these words, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. <clears throat> Can I just remind you today, church, that God's power is at work within us. His power is available to His people. As I read through that prayer, I noticed three different times that the Apostle Paul asked for God's power. Now, we're a Pentecostal church, so asking for God's power is not a new thing. I mean, we ask for the power of God all the time. But think about it. When we ask for God to display His power, oftentimes we ask for God's power to save. Right? Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Sometimes we ask for the power of God to heal. To heal the sick. The Bible says in, 
in Luke chapter 3 or chapter 6 verse 19 that the people all pressed in to touch Jesus because power was going out from him and healing them all. We ask God for power to heal. Often we ask God for power to be his witnesses. Acts 1.8 says, but after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power and you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, etc. We ask for power all the time, but I want you to think about this. When's the last time you asked for the power of God to be demonstrated so that you could know his love? That's what Paul's praying for. He's not asking for power to be demonstrated so people can be saved, healed, delivered, set free. He's not asking for power to be a witness. He's not asking for power so that we can receive the Holy Spirit. He says, God, I want your power so that we can know your love. Listen, logic is never going to get your arms around the love of God. His love is bigger than logic. It's theologic. You'll never understand His love. The only way you could possibly comprehend it is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Because verse 19 in this prayer says, His love surpasses knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. So God wants to, by His Spirit, give us the power to understand something that goes beyond understanding. And Paul prays for the church. And, and I want to pray for us today according to this prayer. Let me just emphasize three things quickly that, that Paul prays. And I want to pray for us today. The first part of his prayer was that, that they would have strength. That they would have strength. He said, I pray in verse 16, out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Say, how does that happen? How does God strengthen us in our inner being? It happens when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, comes to live on the inside of us at salvation. When, when you receive Christ in your heart and in your life, Paul said it like this in Ephesians 1.20. He said, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is the Spirit that lives inside of you. When, when you receive Jesus into your heart, you receive power of the Spirit. And the good thing is, you don't have to understand all of the love of God. You don't have to understand all of the Bible to receive Salvation. All you have to do is trust and believe. Trust and believe. And when you come to him with childlike faith, with simple belief, he'll save you. He'll strengthen you. And your life becomes established. I, I pray that everybody here has had that moment that your life is established in who Jesus is. But Paul doesn't stop the prayer there. He prays on from there because it's not just about coming to the knowledge of salvation. He said this, I pray also that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, in verse 18, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high, how long, and how wide, and how deep is the love of Christ. So the second prayer is this, that you would grasp this love. Now he said in verse 19, it surpasses knowledge, so this is a miracle that we're asking for here. But he says, I want you to understand this love. See, the problem with the Israelites is they came out of the Exodus. They were saved. They were delivered. The shackles were off. God had blessed them so much that even the Israelites paid them to leave. They left Egypt a rich, blessed people. They had experienced salvation. 
But the reason they continued to wander for the rest of their lives is because they couldn't come to grasp with the love of God. And that, that describes a lot of people in the church today. You've received salvation. You would call yourself a Christian, and yet you're living your life in frustration because you haven't grasped the love of God. You're not starting from the position that says, God loves me. He's concerned about me. He's for me. He's not against me. And so you continue in a place of frustration. It only took one night for God to deliver the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt. But it took a whole generation for him to deliver Egypt out of them. They had received salvation, but they hadn't grasped it. They hadn't comprehended it. God wants to give you comprehension today. God wants you to be able to, to know, regardless of what you think of yourself or what anybody else thinks of you, regardless of what you've done or how many times you failed, He wants you to know that you know that you know. God loves me. He, he's for me. He's not against me. And that's the place I begin. And then Paul prayed the last part of his prayer. In verse 19, he said, And that you would know this love, this surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. In other words, what he was saying is, I don't want you to just receive the message of salvation. I don't want you to just try to wrap your mind around understanding it. I want you to know it personally. I want this to be your experience. So much so that you receive Christ to the measure of all the fullness. It's more than understanding. It's an invitation to an all-consuming, daily abiding fullness of God in your life. Now, the reality is this. You and I will never contain the full measure of God's love. Never. We'll spend all of eternity trying, but it'll never happen. No more so could I take a jar and go out and fully contain the Atlantic Ocean. Couldn't do it. But what I can do is I can take my jar and I can go out and I can stick it in the ocean. And it becomes consumed to the full measure with the fullness. That's what Paul is saying your life ought to be like. You're never going to contain the love of God. But you ought to be filled up and overflowing, consumed in and out and all around you with the love of God of God in your life, that you would know it, and nobody could talk you out of it. <clears throat> I love the way the Apostle Paul communicated it in Romans chapter 8. He's talking about the love of God, and this is like the, the crescendo of Romans 8. He says in verse 38, for I am convinced. I'm convinced. That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither anything else in all creation. It's like he couldn't think of anything else to say. It's like he just said, anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Are you established in that today? That's my prayer for you, because we can, we can live our whole lives in frustration, and it has nothing to do with direction, it has nothing to do with God's leading. It's an identity crisis. 
I want to ask you to stand with me all over this room. And we're going to do something together at the conclusion of this service. I think is significant. I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. Now, some of you, you never do this, and this is going to feel weird to you. I'm going to ask you to do it anyway, if you're physically able. In just a moment, I'm going to ask every one of you to come and join me in this altar for a closing word of prayer. I'm going to tell you why before I do. Because this prayer that he prayed, that we just read, here's the prayer. He said, being rooted and established. That means you personally. Nobody can have faith for you. You have to be rooted and established in Christ. But he said, my prayer is that you, verse 18, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. You know what I believe Paul was saying? You're never going to fully comprehend the love of God by yourself. It only happens in the context of community. It only happens when your faith becomes involved in the faith of others. So rather than asking you to, to raise a hand or, or nod at me or wave at me and say, Pastor, that was for me. I'm telling you, it was for you. You need to have a right starting point. God is for you. But my prayer for you today is that God would give you a revelation of his love. Not power to baptize us with the Spirit, to speak in new tongues. Not power to heal the sick. Power to know the all-surpassing love of God. So I want to ask you, would you step out from where you are and join me in this altar? Join others as we come together to pray before the Lord today. I want to pray this prayer over you. Come on, move close. Be close enough to be next to somebody. <coughs> be close enough to rub shoulders with somebody. Now, I'm going to lead you in this prayer, but I want to encourage you. Why don't you just put a hand on the shoulder of somebody next to you? Or take someone by the hand. <clears throat> Let's begin to ask God right now for a new revelation by His Spirit of His love. Father, we know what Your Word says. <clears throat> Lord, we see the image of a crucified Savior. Your word says that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You love us, and we know you love us, but God, still the enemy wants to lie to us. Still the enemy wants to see us as grasshoppers. Still the enemy wants to convince us that you've forgotten about us, that you're not for us. Still the enemy wants to demor demoralize us, cause us to take another trip around the mountain. To spend another generation in the wilderness. <clears throat> but God, today, today I pray. God, you would give us a revelation <clears throat> by your spirit. May we have power together with all the Lord's holy people <clears throat> to grasp just how wide and how long and how high. And how deep is the love of Christ. And God, may we know this love. Not just hear about it or talk about it on Sunday. But God, this week, may we experience it. May we know this surpassing love that goes beyond. <clears throat> it goes beyond knowledge. God, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this altar today would be filled. <clears throat> would be filled.
to the measure of all the fullness of God. And I want to ask you, just take about 30 seconds and pray for the person that's on your right and left. You don't have to even know their name. You don't have to pray in their ear. Just right where you're standing. Let's begin to lift them up. Just pray for a revelation of God's love like never before. Lord God, let them hear you say, you're my son. You're my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice just for a few moments longer. against us. Thank you, Lord God, that you want to establish our steps. You want to guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. <coughs> Thank you that you're a good shepherd, Lord. You lead us. You're leading your people right now. <coughs> God, break off every lie from the enemy right now. We rebuke a spirit of condemnation. Lord, we declare your word over our brothers and sisters in Christ. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, set your people free right now. <coughs> From the failings of their past. Thank you for an identity in Christ. Whatever you've called us to, you've called us to get to it from a place of love, of sonship. Lord, let your word be established in our hearts and lives, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 I want to ask you to do one more thing before you leave here today. Encourage somebody. Tell them you're glad to see them today. Love on somebody. <laughs>